Good morning, everyone, again. Faith stories are an awesome opportunity. And I would encourage you, each person that comes up and shares has a story of how they got to where they're at, and, the, and a story preceding the story that they share. Pray for people as you see them, as they come to mind. Um, Virginie, who, who lost her mother uh, this past year, just a few months ago. Virginie. Um, she died in Christ, an w- amazing woman of God. And she's, and she's dealing with that loss right now. Pray for Ginny. Pray for Ginny. Um, for, for Kathy, who's getting these amazing opportunities to use her gifts for God's glory. And she's asking God for these opportunities, and he's giving them to her. Things that are incredible to me. I was just talking to her before the service. Pray for Kathy. Um, for Mike, as he is sharing the, sharing the word with people. Pray for Mike, that God would fan his, his gift into flame. And ask God how you might share Christ this holiday season. Uh, it's a, it is a great opportunity. Uh, to, people are open. Uh, people want, want to hear about uh, Jesus in a way that is amazing. Uh, Easter, it happens again. Uh, this is a great time to share. Because really, when you share about Christ, it's not... Uh, when you think about it, it's a part of your life. It's a real part of your life. It's something that you really believe and you engage with. It's just an overflow of who you are. Uh, just share yourself. Share your life and how Jesus has overlapped with your story this holiday season. Uh, As you could have probably guessed by now, my name is Nathan Detweiler. I'm the senior pastor of this church. We are going through a series about how God had Christmas in mind from the beginning. God had Christmas in mind from the beginning. The first week, we looked at uh, the promise of God in Genesis 3.15, which we talked about with the kids, that uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God. A curse was brought in creation. And as God was talking to them, he gave them this word of hope that someday a Redeemer would come and crush the head of Satan. And that Redeemer we know to be Jesus Christ. And we explored in that, uh, in that sermon from Colossians 2.15 that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he triumphed over the powers and principalities of darkness, making a mockery of them. Uh, he crushed Satan's head. And what we're seeing between the, the resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ what the evil that we see in the world, in the news, and even into our own hearts, it's just evil in its death, in its uh, flailing, in its final moments. And Jesus will come back someday and set everything right. Uh, we stand between these two times, when Jesus came and when Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. And uh, during this time, we are, we are to be excellent in what is good, innocent of what is evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan underneath our feet. That's Romans 16, 19 and 20. So as we, as we participate in this work with God, God uh, does his redemptive work even through us, and he will do it in a final way. Uh, last week we looked at this idea of the atonement that uh, Abraham and Isaac, and God provided this ram for, for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son. It was a substitute, and, and Abraham said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And we see Christ in this story. Uh, we, we say, when we look at our own sin and darkness... On the mountain of the Lord, it has been provided. Jesus is our substitute. And Jesus is our covering. Jesus' shed blood covers our sins. And when God looks down at us, he sees the righteousness of his son Jesus and pardons us. It's a shadow of Jesus found in the story of Abraham. This week, we are looking at the, the mother of all uh, foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. This is the biggest image, and it's the story of the Exodus. And perhaps this is not getting you into your holiday cheer. I'm not sure. (laughs) 
Whenever I think about the plagues in Egypt, you know, I start humming jingle bells. But this is good stuff. <laughs> this is the exodus. This is the great deliverance. This is the big story for the Jewish people, even to this day, the Passover, the exodus. And it's a big story for us, too, who are in Christ, both what God did uh, in the exodus through Moses and what God did through Jesus and what God will yet do in the future. Before we really get into the thick of it, I want to play a little, bit, a little game with you. This is an honest game. Uh, I'm going to say a phrase, and you say where the phrase originated from, okay? Rules are clear. To be or not to be, that is the question. Shakespeare, that's from Hamlet. And funny story, um, one of my siblings had a, the potty mouth phase, where they were saying bathroom words, basically, in public, and embarrassed. You parents understand this, right? We're going through this a little bit, you know. Where they say, use, use bathroom language. It should be in, confined to that small room in your house, in public. And, and my, my sibling went through this phase, and it was very embarrassing to my mother. So a friend of ours who was a psychologist down the road actually sat down with my sibling and retrained them through some kind of like psychotherapy technique. Uh, instead of saying that phrase, which they were saying, which was potty language, he trained him to say, to be or not to be, that is the question. <laughs> and so we did, it was like a stimulus response thing. We could just ring a bell, and my, and my, my uh, sibling would, would... I tried not to say, it's my brother, okay. It's, uh, he's going to hear this, and it's going to be awesome. Um, he was very young. So, so we taught him to say, to be or not to be, that is the question, instead of the phrase, and it went very well. That's our first phrase. That's Shakespeare's Hamlet. How about this one? I'll be back. Arnold Schwarzenegger from Terminator, also Jesus in uh, Revelation 22.20. Talk about a foreshadowing, you know. Uh, but, G- but in all seriousness, uh, Jesus is coming back. So Just so everyone knows. <laughs> That's what this whole Christmas season is about. Jesus coming as a baby, dying and resurrecting and saying, I'm going to come back. Until I get back, there's some work that needs to be done. And I will finish the job when I get home. Uh, so that's what Christmas is all about. How about this one? Let my people go. I heard, that's my, uh, Pharaoh Jesus Moses. It, that's, that, that's right. It was not Arnold. Um, this is Moses. But more accurately, this is the Lord God. And the rest of that phrase is, let my people go, in Exodus 9.1, that they may worship me. Let my people go so they may worship me. Let my people go is the cry of God's heart. And it has been from the beginning. And uh, this, is something, this is something the Lord has laid on my heart. Whenever I preach to you guys, uh, I pray and I ask God, what is it that you want to say to your children this week? I'm preparing this sermon, but I want it to be something from you. And this phrase just came to my mind as being such a powerful word from God. Let my people go so they can worship me. Let the oppressed go free. And this is something that Jesus said about himself in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And Jesus is actually quoting a prophecy about himself from Isaiah 61. Uh, so Jesus gets up in the synagogue. Um, Luke 4, 18 and 19. I lost my place here. He gets up in the synagogue and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus. And Jesus unrolled it and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year 
of the Lord's favor. And Jesus didn't stop with this statement. Not only did he quote the Old Testament, but then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And everyone was staring at him, wondering at why he chose this passage. And Jesus said, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God's heart, let my people go so they may worship me. Jesus' heart, I have come to set the oppressed free, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let them go. Let my people go that they may worship me. When I was 14, my sister, who was a couple years older than me, got her permit, her driver's permit. And after a while, she got her license. My parents bought her a used car, as some of you have done for your children. It's much appreciated, by the way. <laughs> Anyone that, that had this experience is, really appreciates it. Um, they bought this used car for my sister. It was a Dodge Dynasty. And it had this cloth top, and then also an inner cloth top, and it would droop down and touch your head. <laughs> you even have those cars from like the late 80s and, 90, and early 90s where like the roof, I don't know, it was like a defect, the glue didn't work. So we constantly glue it and tack it back up. But she got this car, this Dodge Dynasty, and then uh, a couple years later, she wanted to go to community college, and so my parents paid for her to go to community college, which was another amazing gift. So here I am, 14 years old, I see her get her permit and her license and then this car, and then uh, uh, I'm I'm 60 and I see them pay for her time at community college. This uh, set a precedent for me. I, I thought to myself, this is what's going to happen. And you're laughing because you think this story might go badly, but actually my parents were really awesome. <laughs> and they gave me the same treatment they gave to my older sister. Once uh, I hit, got my license, I, I learned to drive my mom's giant minivan, the big bubble minivan, uh, which I'm grateful for because now I drive one of those things <laughs> full-time. Um, uh, but I got, I got a car for my parents to drive, and I, they paid for my community college. It was a huge blessing. Many of you know the pain of a parent, you don't have to raise your hand, who did something for the, for the first child, and then you were expecting it. You had no reason not to, and then they didn't do it for you. And you're like, really? I have to buy my own car? Like, what about, <laughs> what about him or her? Uh, I have to pay for my own. I'm not getting any help. You're telling me there's nothing for me? And that's a very painful thing. It, it breaks your trust in many ways, and your parents' love makes you think that maybe they favor one child over another. But my parents, uh, praise God, and I'm thankful for them, Without a word, they set up an expectation for me that I would get a car, that I would get some of my college paid for. Um, and then they pulled through on that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a concept called faithfulness. That's what faithfulness looks like. What has been done in the past will be repeated in the future. And this is what God's faithfulness looks like. What has been done in the past will be repeated in the future. When ancient Jewish people look at history... They don't see history as linear, like this happened, this happened, everything's progressing onto this um, grand future. They see history as cyclical, that what God has done, God will do again, and God will do yet again. And us, as, as descendants of the Jewish people, we have this mindset too. What God has done in the past, God will be faithful to do again. This is God's faithfulness. What God has done in the history of his work of salvation... God will do again for us. And God, indeed, uh, has done this. And we see this shadow in the Exodus story. This is a story that's so, uh, so powerful to the Jewish people and powerful to us because it's an image of how God works and what God does. 
And what I'm seeing as I read this, this uh, Exodus story is that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Israel. So now, so the, really, the really amazing thing is Jesus is not only Moses leading his people into an exodus from the slavery of sin and death and to the pharaohs and the powers and principalities of this world that stand behind them, Jesus also fulfilled perfectly Israel's mandate, which Israel failed at. Israel disobeyed God and wandered in the desert and had tons and tons of problems. But Jesus perfectly fulfilled Israel and Moses. Uh, I want to take a look at a passage in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, 1 to, 10, 1 to 5. This is a, uh, a reflection on God's faithfulness from Paul. And he's reflecting on the Exodus story. And I'm reading it from... This is something I don't normally do, but I'm reading it from a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message because it's much more clear uh, and it actually is very faithful to the original language and scriptures. So listen to this. 1 Corinthians 10, 1-5 with this idea of God's faithfulness in mind, what God has done before he'll do again. It says, Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours, as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them, that stayed with them wherever they were, and the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. So here we see Paul reflecting on this Exodus story. And you'll recall when the Israelites are wandering in the desert, they need water, and water comes from a rock. And Paul says that rock, figuratively and even literally, was Christ. The water that came from that rock represented Christ, and it was Christ in in this really uh, amazing way. Paul is showing that what happened in this Exodus story, uh, where God provided water, God has done again He's been faithful to do the same thing again through Jesus. It says in John 4.14, Jesus says, When anyone drinks the water that I give him, they will never be thirsty again. Instead, the water that I give him will become within them a stream of living water welling up to everlasting life. Jesus said the water that he gives will never uh, make someone thirsty again. This is just one example of God repeating something he did uh, in the Exodus story through Jesus. And it's really an amazing thing. And the entire Exodus account is like this. There's parallels uh, from the Exodus account to Jesus that are staggering that we're going to look at uh, very briefly. And the bottom line to the Exodus account is God's word to us this morning, which is, let my people go, that they may worship me. And God has done it again through Jesus. He's done this great Exodus again through Jesus. He's given us freedom from slavery and bondage and sin. But unlike God's people who are set free by God only to go back into bondage due to their hardness of heart, their stubbornness, and their sin, God provides for his children Jesus, both fulfilling Israel, Israel's mandate to be God's people and to obey him. He, he, he fulfills Israel's job perfectly. And he also perfectly fulfills the role of Moses. So he, not only, you, what, you, what you need to see in the gospel is that what people have failed to do in religion in the, in the past has always been because they haven't been faithful to the covenant God. God keeps his end of the bargain, and the people that were supposed to keep their end of the bargain don't, so they wander around aimlessly, and they 
get in bondage and they have all kinds of problems. But what God did when he sent Jesus, the new Moses, to bring about a new exodus is that Jesus fulfilled perfectly God's law when he walked on this earth. He never sinned. He followed God's law perfectly both in letter and the spirit of the law behind it. He, he interpreted it properly and, and lived it out. He lived the law of love of God. And then he died for our sins as a substitute of atonement for, our, for, for us. And when he resurrected, he led us through that same path, through his body, into salvation. In other words, salvation is not procured through our good behavior and our ability to follow the terms of the covenant perfectly. Jesus did that. He fulfilled it perfectly. And when we put ourselves in Christ by faith, saying, you know, Jesus shed his blood that I might live, that I might come into freedom, when we identify with Jesus in this way, it's like we're getting inside of a bulletproof, bombproof uh, uh, cargo ship that's taking us directly to freedom. It's an amazing thing. Jesus is our new exodus. Jesus is our freedom, and it's all God's work. There's, and it's available to anyone who puts their faith in Christ. It's really good news. I want to show you a, a really uh, cursory look at this concept uh, in, in, from Moses to Jesus. And this is a comparison that I find to be absolutely fascinating, and, and, and I have come across this in my research. Look at these parallels of how God is faithful. Moses, in one column, Jesus in the other. An evil king tried to kill Moses as a baby. Herod tried to kill baby Jesus. Moses was hidden from the evil king. An angel said to hide baby Jesus from the evil king Herod. Moses was sent to Egypt to preserve his life. Jesus was taken into Egypt to preserve his life when Joseph was warned in a dream. Moses was saved by women, his mother, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter. Jesus was saved and helped by his mother, Mary. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. Joseph adopted Jesus. Moses became a prince of Egypt. Jesus is the prince of peace. Then there's a long period of silence uh, from both Moses' childhood to his adulthood and Jesus's in the Bible. Moses had a secret identity. Jesus was discreetly the son of God. We looked at that when we studied Mark, the messianic secret. God sa- Jesus said, tell no one, but, you know, I am the son of God. It was a, a secret. Moses tried to save a Hebrew kinsman. Jesus came to save the Hebrew kinsman first and then the rest of the world. Moses went from being a prince to a pauper. Jesus went from being God to being man. Moses saved women at a well. Jesus saved a woman at the well. Moses became a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Moses' mission was to redeem Israel from slavery to Egypt. Jesus' mission is to redeem mankind from slavery to sin. Moses was loved and supported in his ministry by his sister Miriam, in Hebrew, Miriam. Jesus was loved and supported in his ministry by his mother Mary, in Hebrew, Miriam. (laughs) Moses was often rejected by his own people. Jesus was often rejected by his people. Moses gave God's law on the mountain of Sinai. Jesus gave the new law from the mountain of Beatitudes. Moses spent 40 days fasting on the mountain. Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the desert wilderness. Moses performed signs and miracles, and so did Jesus. Moses offered his life for the salvation of his people after the sin of the golden calf, saying, Take me, even though your, my peop- your people have offended you. Take, let the punishment fall on me, Moses said. Uh, Jesus offered his life for the salvation of the world as a substitute for us. Moses is the prophet of the old covenant. Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king of the new and everlasting covenant. What God was faithful to do in the past, through Moses, the exodus of God's people, from bondage in Egypt, God has been faithful to do again through the new exodus brought about by the new Moses, Jesus Christ. Jesus has fulfilled perfectly what God desired Israel to do, but they failed at miserably. And where Israel failed at obeying God's law, 
Jesus succeeded 100%. And with this perfect fulfillment done by Jesus, we are all now invited to look to our new Moses, Jesus Christ, in faith and follow him as he leads us on in an exodus of our own from the land of slavery. Through faith in Jesus' atoning sacrifice, which was made in accordance with the promised plan of God throughout the scriptures, we throw off the bondage of sin and death, we throw off the bondage of the pharaohs of this world and the principalities and powers that stand behind them and energize them, we throw off that bondage, and we walk into the promised land of an unfettered relationship with Jesus Christ. We walk into the promised land of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and one day when Jesus comes back, we will be ushered into his presence to celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a huge celebration uh, when we come into the fullness of a relationship with God that we've never experienced before. And this, available, this exodus is available to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And God is faithful. What he has done in the past, he will do again. And for some of you, 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 you look sorrowfully at your Christian life and you say, you know, I, at one point God did this amazing thing, but I've, I've come so far away from him. And uh, I've, I've wandered and I've walked away. But what God has done in the past, God will do again. Your sin and the years of wandering are not too much for God to handle. What God has done to be faithful to you when you considered yourself to be not so bad, God's, God's easily able to deal with that stuff now. It's God's specialty to deal with broken people and to bring them close through Jesus Christ. Until the day that, we, that Jesus comes back, not as a baby, but this time as a victor over sin and death and the powers and principalities of darkness, and when he sets everything right and brings about justice in this world, um, until that day, we need to live underneath the call of God, which God is now speaking to the principalities and powers through Jesus. God is saying, let my people go that they might worship me. God is saying that, and we need to heed that call and say, yes, we are going. We are going because God says free through through Jesus. And remember Jesus' simple invitation. Whoever wants to follow me and be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me in Matthew 16, 24. As the worship team uh, comes forward, to lead us in a closing song. Uh, I just invite you, how do you want to respond to this? Uh, God has said, let my people go that they might worship me through Jesus. God, Jesus has secured our exodus. Are you going to follow God into freedom? Um, are you going to allow God to, to bring you to that place that you cannot bring yourself to a full freedom uh, in him? And will you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus? This is the invitation of God through Jesus Christ. Hope to see many of you here on Christmas Eve. We're going to be reading uh, scriptures of the advent of Jesus Christ and singing songs uh, and having a candlelight service. So we're just going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus, our new new Moses, who has perfectly fulfilled God's law for us. Um, If you join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church who's come together to worship you this Christmas season. I pray that each person, that for each person, that their lives would be touched with your, with your presence and with a realization, a deeper realization of what Jesus has, Jesus' advent really means this Christmas season. And I pray that you would lead us all from a place of bondage, sin, and slavery into a place of freedom. Freedom, Father, that we might be set free by Jesus to worship you, God. Um, in Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. You are dispersed. Amen. Go and be the church.